Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Creator Spotlight Season 2 from The Interface. Creator Spotlight is our new series where we talk to creators about what they make and do and how they got started. Today I'm joined by Laura Young, who's a climate activist and is probably best known for her work on banning disposable vapes. So welcome. Hello, thanks for having me on. Yeah, not a problem. Um, so if people don't know much about you, um, what's the what's your main um, what's the main thing that you're known for? So I've mentioned about the vapes, but what's the the main thing? Yeah, so I am. I guess I'm an environmental campaigner. Is the easiest way to describe what I do. So for the last few years, I've campaigned about a variety of issues, but uh, I exist online on the world of social media as Less Waste Laura. Waste as in what you put in your bin. Don't come to me for fitness tips. I don't have many of those, but um, yeah, kind of campaign around plastic waste, climate change and spend my time. I mean, just now it's on disposable vapes, but over the years, it's been many different issues trying to, yeah, kind of raise awareness and and hopefully make some good change. Yeah, it's, re- it's really good. It's There's a lot of things that need to be done in that, in that area um and there's a lot of misinformation and different things mm. it's just a whole cluster so um yeah so I, I i found you on on twitter when you sharing that um I, it, I think it went pretty viral in the end um i think you're walking around uh, where you live i think it's in dundee um yeah. sort of picking up this of vapes and thinking and sort of making the point this is just stupid why why is why do they exist and why do people just keep throwing them away um so i look on your website as well you've you've been around you've been around like you <laughs> well it's a it's a weird word to use but you know I mean? in the best there's a, way there's a lot of a lot of media appearances on on bbc news and sky and um it's quite impressive the amount of places that you've been on already to talk about what you're campaigning against this is really impressive what's that what's that been like sort of in the mainstream media yeah do you know it's really interesting so I mean, we're having this conversation in February 2023, in case anyone's listening, in months to come. But so about six months ago, five, six months ago, I was on a walk with my dog and came across a disposable vape. So this plastic, colourful item that was in the park when I was on a walk. And I'm a bit of a litter picker. So anyway, I just picked it up and was like, "Ugh, rubbish, whatever, threw it away. Didn't really think anything of it, just thought it's another piece of litter. And ever since then, I've just been seeing them everywhere, different brands, different styles. Some of them are in their full form. Some of them have been squished. There's batteries hanging out of them anyway. So about at the time where this was all happening, I kind of discovered what they were and thought, oh my goodness, we are selling single use disposable electronic devices. Like what is going on? Mm -hmm. So I went online and was like, there must be somebody talking about this. There must be a campaign. There must be a petition I can sign. There must be an organization who's trying to do something about not just the litter, but the the waste and, and the kind of ridiculousness that is yeah. these issues. And I came across nothing. No one was talking about it. No organizations were campaigning. And so it sort of leaves you with this decision of like, oh, well, maybe I'll just be the person who starts talking about it. So I think the reason there's been so much media is because this problem has come out of nowhere. Nobody else has been talking about it. And although now, six months on, we've got loads of engagement, we've got loads of political action, and I've been able to get loads of organisations behind me, I guess I'm still the face of it. And that's just because I was just the first one to really raise awareness. But I mean, certainly it's been the easiest thing I've been able to talk about because it's so clear cut. You know, it's such a big problem and banning these devices is definitely the way forward. And I think the media appearances show that because 
I know that journalists are supposed to be balanced, but often they're just like, yeah, my goodness, this is such a huge issue. You know, you can't listen to all the points against them and, and then think that they're a good thing. So, but no, it's been exciting and it's also been nice to have it national and local. Mm. So like the local paper in Dundee where I live is is totally taking this campaign on, but we've also had everything from, you know, BBC Radio 4 investigations mm. and Sky News and, and everything in between, which which is, is really great. So just shows how important this issue is yeah what's the what's the public has there been any usually when there's something like this it's even though it it shouldn't be controversial it not controversial but it shouldn't have so much different sides on it how's the has there been much reaction to to you directly or how has that been Honestly, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, with anything, you get a few Twitter trolls, <laughs> people who have got mm-hmm. an opinion about it. But actually, 99.9% of general public, businesses, organizations, you know, they're just in support because they just realize that, you know, in a world where we're trying to go after a circular economy, net zero, be climate conscious, be resource conscious, selling a single use electronic device. Can you think of any other single use disposable electronic device i can't especially not one that people are throwing away daily potentially so i think overwhelmingly people are in support and the reason vaping was created was as a smoking cessation device and that is still available in a reusable form from shops that will comply with the different regulations that they need to you know it's still available for adults who are needing that as a medical intervention yeah. But what we don't need is 12-year-olds being able to pick these up in their school uniform from everything from corner shops to dessert shops to sa- tanning salons and in a way that is something that they just buy once, throw away, chuck away, don't really think much of and, and cause really big environmental harm, yeah, yeah. not just as litter, but of course, you know, batteries in landfill cause fires, you know, batteries being run over by cars cause pop tires. You know, there's so many issues. It's not just... I was finding them as litter. It's it's everything else that goes along with that. Yeah, it's it's good. There's always something that needs bringing up in any industry. I think, and this is quite important, especially as especially as we're moving towards all the um, want to be more climate conscious. Um, that sort of moves on to like so. It's one part of what what the UK needs to do to combat climate change. What, in your opinion, what what's the main thing we need to do? Um, to combat, combat that? I mean, it's a hard question because if there was a silver bullet, we would have used it by now. And I think that's always yeah. the frustration with climate campaigners. You know, I think it's a little bit of everything. So we need people to wake up and want to choose active and public transport. You know, the car should be the last resort for short miles. But for that, we need affordable, accessible and reliable public transport. We also want people to come home from work or university or whatever they're doing to a house that's warm, but warm because it's got insulation, it's got double glazing, you know, it's a good infrastructure, it's a good house and we need councils to help people out with that. We need people to not fly multiple times a year. We need businesses to be divesting their banking and and pensions. We need people to realise that they don't need new clothes every week but can love secondhand fashion and and can you know mend the things that they have and and get involved in community sharing networks of not just clothes but kids toys and tool libraries and all these different things and we need you know a real overhaul of the waste that we have you know both 
waste that you put in your bin and food waste and all these other things. And I think there's many policies that could address a lot of this stuff, but there's also a bit of a culture shift that we need to do. You know, I think I've seen it with secondhand fashion. It's becoming a bit more acceptable. It's a bit um, kind of quirky now to go to a charity shop, but you know, I think we need to do it with a lot more stuff. Um, I remember someone said, we need insulation and taking the bus to become sexy. And then we've solved the climate crisis. And I think that, you know, so there's all these little things that we need to do. But ultimately, it's it's a kind of societal shift and culture shift with policies that, that help us um, to kind of make us more sustainable in the round. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned sort of transport as well. So I saw you done, you done some, I don't remember what it was, a little while ago about you did some work with VW. Maybe yep. I think you went to um, America to launch the, help launch the ID Buzz or do something yeah. with the media with that. Um, yeah, do you, now, what's your? I guess your opinion on EVs is is pretty positive, but what's what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, EVs great, great topic. So, I mean, I have an electric vehicle, I have an electric car, and that's because in 2019 my petrol car came to the end of its life, and I was faced with a job that I definitely needed my own car for at the time, and I was faced with getting another petrol car or putting my own money into the world of electric vehicles to try and invest that money and you know kind of help bring the industry on and I think electric cars are great and I think they are definitely part of the sustainable transport future but they are absolutely not in isolation you know if everybody on the planet gets an electric car that's not going to be very environmentally friendly actually electric cars are part of the sustainable future alongside really good active travel routes public transport options and even things like car sharing networks you know and I think for me one of the things that I've been noticing a few families do and I think this is something that could really be a great model is families where they maybe had two cars that were petrol or diesel have now gone to one car that's electric but really look at you know how can we do other journeys you know cycling walking public transport to kind of be part of that and I think also with the rise of things like car sharing networks, often which have electric cars in them, you know, it's about saying, okay, as an individual, do I need a car? You know, do I actually need to own one or do I just need access to one once in a while? So I think electric cars are great, especially because as soon as you're putting the energy into it, you know, that energy is not going to be 100% fossil fuel generated. You know, lots of it's going to be renewable. But also there's nothing coming out the other end. You know, it really helps with reducing air pollution, which is such an, a huge issue in, in many yeah. city centres. So, I mean, I've, I've, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm brought onto all these different, you know, shows and podcasts and, and TV things to talk about electric cars. And I'm always the one who's like, I'm absolutely not an electric car nut. But, you know, I'm also here to talk about public transport, which which often is, isn't that popular when people are trying to sell electric cars. But, you know, I think it's the reality is that, they are great and, and sustainable, but not if everyone has one sitting on their driveway not being used 95% of the time or whatever the crazy statistic is for car use. So <laughs> roundabout answer to say, yeah, I love them. I've got one, but I hope there is a day where I can give mine up and rely on public transport and car sharing networks in, instead. Definitely. What's the, what is the public transport like in, in where you live? Oh, so, I mean, Dundee is, um, I mean, I'm, so I'm from Glasgow and Glasgow has an amazing train network. We also have a subway. So I was very much oh. used to that as my kind of public transport routes. 
Dundee is very different. I mean, I live in what you could maybe call a 15, 20 minute neighborhood. So I have my workplace, all of my shops, all of the kind of things that you would need every day within a 20 minute walk of my house, green spaces, shops, businesses, everything, pubs, cafes, everything I could need is within a 20 minute walk. So I love that idea and that concept. And that's not something I've actually had before. Um, and I use my bike when I'm in Dundee to go other places. But I think the public transport is not great, um, but it is there and it's it, you can make it work. But I think living in Dundee is a walkable city for me. But I also recognise I'm a young person who's kind of fit and able to do that. So, um, but I think I've also spent time living in Edinburgh and the bus network there is amazing. So like buses oh, is, is what you get everywhere. But if anyone's ever been to like London, you just get that public transport anywhere else is is you know, so bad compared to that. And I think that's always what we, you know, want to be striving for. But it's okay, you make do. But I think particularly where public transport falls down is on the kind of longer journeys. Mm. Certainly, you know, for price. I think there was one day where um, I went and had to go from Glasgow to Dundee. I had to get a return ticket. It was on peak. And at the time I didn't have like a, a discount card and it was going to be 50 quid. I thought 50 quid for a 90 mile journey, like obviously I'm going to take my car because it's not 50 quid in petrol. So I think there's times where, you know, we really need to incentivize people to use it more. And sometimes that's financial. Sometimes it's with better routes, Um, but it's okay. But I mean, in Dundee, I'm certainly, I'm getting my 10,000 steps in easy. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yes, definitely. It does depend on where you live. I think Um, if you just say to people, oh, just use public transport, people always find reasons why not because of where they live and that sort of thing. Uh, especially where I live, I live in the middle of the countryside, and there's, there's yeah. the bus routes have been have dwindled and dwindled over the last ten years. So, uh, getting that sort of thing is pretty impossible where I live. So, um, but yeah, can definitely appreciate if you live in built-up areas and things, you can. Mm. It, it's definitely a good option. So, yeah, that's good. Um, what's what? Out of interest, what EV do you have? I have a Renault Zoe. I oh, have okay. a love-hate relationship with it, <laughs> um, and I mean just to kind of paint the picture, you know. When I first got it, there would be times in summer where you would be getting pretty much the 200 miles out of it in one charge. But in December of last year, I was stuck in Perth at a parking ride because I had to charge because on a full charge, I got 90 miles. And when I regularly go between Glasgow and Dundee, which is 90 miles, that is just like absolutely not good enough because you need a bit more than 90 to to have any sort of confidence that you're going to get there. So... I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I also recognise that I, I'm i an EV owner who doesn't have a charger at home. I live in a 10-minute flat. I can't put one in. You know, I don't have a driveway. And so I am someone who relies on the public network, which is not great, especially when it is when it is the thing you rely on. You know, if yeah. you've got one at home, you've always got that as a backup. So I, I have a bit of a unique EV driving experience because I don't have a big fancy Tesla and a lovely house with a driveway where I can just pull in every evening and give it a charge. Um, but I think that's part of the learning for the whole world. You know, if we're going to be moving towards this, we need to work how it, see how it works for people like me who, who don't have that accessibility. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what happens with that. There's a lot of work being done with like charges in lampposts and, and things that pop mm. out the ground. So Oh, I regularly get in touch with my council. I'm like, come on, if you could just put a charger right outside my front door, that would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, how Have you done any other stuff? Like, I know you, I mentioned the ID Buzz you did um, with VW. Have you done any other, other, oh, have you done any other stuff with uh, car companies sort of 
in a, in that sort of sense or mm. I mean the the ID buzz was probably the biggest project that I've done and I think that was the reason it sparked my interest is because number one VW is maybe the biggest car brand in the world in terms of like you know so well known they've got cars everywhere pretty much um and the fact that they're going electric with quite an iconic car because obviously it's yeah, kind of yeah. based on the the VW camper van you know I was really intrigued as to what they were doing but also it was the opportunity for me to go and as part of that partnership I got to interview the chief exec and VW has a history of not being particularly uh, transparent about carbon emissions <laughs> may I say so I was interested in you know this kind of big push that they were making towards electric and you know one of the things that their chief exec said um, Scott in our interview was that Volkswagen are responsible for one percent of all global carbon emissions one percent for one company around across the world that is massive when you think that like the UK is like one percent or whatever we are you know that's huge oh my goodness and so to me that was a great opportunity to be able to talk about you know actually your company has this huge impact globally and and what are you kind of you know helping consumers do to reduce that and so you know that was a great opportunity not just to say here's a cool electric car and let's you know (laughs) people drive it but actually to say you know as a company but you know since then I've been doing you know I've done some partnerships with like co-wheels which is obviously like a kind of car sharing network and within their network you know they've got BMW i3s and I got to kind of rent one or share one for the day and and kind of show people how there's a different world out there for car ownership which is you know you can kind of share a car when you need it and I've kind of been enjoying doing that as well you know kind of talking about the different ways because I'm also aware that the ID buzz is ridiculously expensive for it is your average person I (laughs) certainly couldn't afford one but that doesn't mean that you can't have a car experience or an electric car experience um in that kind of in that kind of way so that's kind of some of the other stuff i've been doing that's really cool it's yeah it's, it's great um also what, what, what many people might not know is you're also an actual scientist as well um yes it's probably not i don't know if that's been talked about in other things you've you've appeared on um so you've actually what sort of degree have you got because uh, i had it's quite interesting to talk about where people come from because i had last guest i had on um this uh, last week I think she had got a journalism degree and it was quite interesting yeah. to talk about that and where she came from so what's what sort of degree yeah. have you got? So my background is I've got an undergraduate in geography and environmental science and then I have a master's degree in environmental protection and management and I am now currently uh, a PhD researcher I am halfway through my first year so don't ask me anything too hard but I'm looking <laughs> at uh, kind of nature-based solutions to climate change but with a community engagement community-centered angle on this and it is from a funding group called the Scotland's Hydro Nation which is a kind of Scottish government project really trying to think about influencing planning and policy so you know right now I'm looking at how do we create spaces in our communities in our cities that help us become climate resilient which is absolutely key when climate change is, is coming but in a way that engages the community, gets them to take ownership of these projects, gets them involved and brings multiple benefits, you know, not just 
great because it's going to stop a flood but actually it's it's biodiverse it helps people get out in green space it's you know reducing air pollution you know it's got all these different benefits and and how can we do that really well in an inclusive way so um that's kind of what I spend my time doing most you know I was going to say nine to five Monday to Friday yeah I'm sitting on a podcast in the middle of a Tuesday but anyway (laughs) um, that's what I'm supposed to be doing with most of my time yeah that's really cool um also, I noticed you did, you've done some stuff for BBC Bite Size. So that's the, yeah. BBC, for people watching like abroad, um, it's sort of like a learning center, isn't it? It's, it's for, um, I used that when I was at school. <laughs> um, yeah. it's sort of like a, like a video platform, um, and a lot of learning, uh, how did that, how did that come about? Oh, how did it even come about? I'm actually trying to think. I think it was, um, so they kind of follow the curriculum and try to create really engaging resources that aren't just textbook pages. And they contacted me because I'd done some work with a Scottish BBC kind of organization or like okay. arm of it called The Social, which is very much kind of younger people trying to create videos about random topics in Scotland to just share online. And I think they'd kind of come across me on that or, you know, it was sort of this like, through the grapevine had got my name and they were looking to create um, pieces of content around sustainability bits of the curriculum. I think it was about recycling and waste and you can imagine the topics. So they asked me, you know, would you be happy to kind of create a bit of script, a bit of content? And then if you're up for it, actually be in a video where we kind of film you just Mm. saying the lines. So it very much started as that. And then they kind of quite liked my presenting style and also you know kind of recognized that I've got the background to make sense of why I would be giving them so I've done a couple of different projects with them and I love it because you know I think education is so key when it comes to creating a generation who are engaged in climate and environmental issues and so yeah it was great to be able to get involved with them and also have a bit of fun my gosh like doing stuff for young people is always fun <laughs> doing stuff for adults is boring so it's always nice to like get into a project that's that's a bit more fun yeah, definitely. Um, get some other bits on um, sort of as we talk about the need to sort of reduce waste and that sort of thing. What's your if anyone who doesn't know much about that sort of thing? Because I, I, I guess there's quite a lot of people who don't know a lot about how to reduce waste and that sort of thing. What's your advice on if someone just wants to start making a difference where they can? Yeah, I think it would be. So what I did in 2018 when I started thinking about this was I did a new year's resolution so my resolution for the year was to try and be more sustainable whatever that meant and obviously waste is a huge part of that so I actually did something called a waste audit and basically because when I when I was starting out I was just looking in all my cupboards in all my drawers I was like everything is covered in plastic how am I supposed to get rid of all of this waste it feels really overwhelming. And so what I did is I decided that for two weeks, I was just going to live normally, but collect all of my waste. So even if I was out and about, you know, getting a coffee with friends or whatever it is, like I would just keep all my waste, come home and kind of put it in the bin. But at the end of two weeks, I like brought it out and put it in my kitchen, like spread it all on the floor. Yeah. And was just looking at it and being like, what's actually there? Like what waste am I producing? And I sort of divided it up into categories and, and was thinking about how to tackle it. And one of the things I realized during that first waste audit of my life was that half of my waste just by volume was from like lunches and coffees out. So I was a student at the time. I was getting meal deals. I was yeah. getting coffees all the time. And actually most of my waste was just like coffee cups you know, takeaway boxes from sandwich shops, like meal deal wrappers. And I thought, okay, 
well, instead of trying to just go plastic free with everything, for the first couple of weeks, let's just focus on this waste. So I got myself a reusable coffee cup. I remembered to take a lunch box so that if I was getting like lunch out, I could just get it in that instead of a takeaway box. And I was just trying to be more mindful, like, okay, I maybe don't need a meal deal every day, but I can try and like buy the ingredients for a meal deal and try and save some waste there. So within a few weeks, I'd like halved my waste because I was just doing it in a kind of methodical way. And then of course you do it again and you find that there's other bits that you can then tackle. So instead of just trying to do it all at once, and I think that's the best way to go about it because when I was having this conversation with my grandparents, I was like, oh yeah, I've got this reusable coffee cup. Say, you know, I'm getting like three coffees a day and it's great because I'm saving all this stuff. And my grandparents were like, we've never bought a takeaway coffee. Like we're in our eighties, like we can't walk and drink coffee at the same time. Are you mad? So (laughs) it made me realize like, you know, if I'd bought them reusable coffee cups, that wouldn't have saved them any waste because that's not the waste that they were producing. But for them, there was, you know, different items. So for everyone, it will be unique. Some people it'll be, you know, toiletry waste, or it'll be a different type of um, kitchen waste, or it'll be something completely different. And people can kind of work out, okay, well, maybe that's the swaps that I can make to just try and find a solution to like this one area. And that'll really help. And you can kind of keep just doing that and doing that and doing that until either you're completely zero waste. And if you are, well done, because that's impossible in my mind. Or you're just like, at least all the waste you're producing is like stuff that you just can't help, like stuff that is really unavoidable. Um, and I think that's the, the best way to go about it. Yeah, that's great. That's some, some good advice. It's, it's definitely quite hard. Like You can sort of mill through general day-to-day stuff and just not think about what you're doing. And it's, yeah. it's definitely important. So, yeah. Um, this one final final bit as well. Um I thought this was quite a, quite a good bit. So anyone who's, I guess, in a similar position to you, like sort of got some sort of following behind them, um, mm. what is there any sort of advice you've got for that? Because it can be quite daunting sometimes, I reckon. Um, mm. Is there any, like, dealing with, like, negative things or um, just dealing with the a little bit of the attention that you're getting? Is there any bits of advice on that? Have a good group of friends who will laugh at screenshotted trolling because that's my favorite thing to do. It's like anytime <laughs> I get any issues, I'm always like screenshot it to my pals and we just have a laugh about it. Um, I mean, I think for me, I treat social media as a sort of tool in my toolbox for the work that I do. And I treat it very much like my emails. So, I mean, I'm sure there are some email junkies out there, but I don't sit on my emails and like refresh them and spend time going over and over and over emails people have sent me and, you know, spend my time like flicking through it. You know, you go in your emails to answer people who have got in touch and then you go off it and you go about your day. And I think when it comes to social media, you've got to do the same. So there's been times in my life where I've been really busy and very much do like, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening. And I just like completely segment it off in my life and say, I will deal with all my social media, then look at all the notifications, answer any, whatever might be there and then leave it. Obviously there's times I've got more free time and can spend more time being more creative or whatever it might be. But I think that's what I find helpful, especially because there is times where maybe I'm the face of, you know, some media stuff around different issues and there's a lot of heat in the conversations or people aren't happy with it. There's no point in sitting sweating over what people are saying. And most of the time it's anonymous people anyway. So I'm just like, yeah. who knows? They wouldn't say it's my face. But I think you just spend time away from it because I think 
you know, social media is so great for, for work that I do and, and work that other people do, but you have to manage it well. Um, and just have people that can hold you accountable to that. So, you know, people who are like, you know, are you doing all right? Like, yeah. are you, are you, you know, are you managing it? Or people who can call you out and be like, what are you doing tweeting all that nonsense? Like, get that down. You know, I think that's <laughs> helpful to have that. Um, and so if anyone's work is increasingly, you know, ending up on social media and that's where you spend your time, just just manage it like anything else. Um, and for me as well, just like as a kind of final tip, I actually have separate personal accounts. I keep my work completely separate. And that's because, you know, I, I, I want to be able to scroll through Instagram and see my friends and not be worrying about, kind of my work related topics and so like that for me was a decision I made very early on but I mean it helps me kind of segment what is work and what is just scrolling through TikTok for the pleasure. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming on the Creative Spotlight Laura it's been good to have you on the, the show to talk about the climate and everything else that you do and um, if people want to get in touch with you where can they find you? You can find me on all social medias under Less Waste Laura. Awesome. Yeah, you can find the interface at theinterface.uk and then we're also on Twitter at the underscore interface underscore. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, but yeah, thank you for, thank you for coming on the show. Um, good to have you on. Thanks for having me.